Making and Breaking Social Policy, a podcast about how we collectively respond to big social issues and what this means for social and community practice. My name is Ben Lohmeyer, and I'm a lecturer and researcher in social work at Flinders University. The special guest for this episode is Dr. Sarah Moulds. Sarah is a senior lecturer in UniSA's law department and a co-founder of the Rights Resource Network SA. She is passionate about parliaments, connecting citizens and communities with lawmakers. In her most recent book, Committees of Influence, explores the important role parliamentary committees play in rights protection in Australia. We'll talk about that a little bit today. Dr. Moulds has actively been engaged in local, national and international conversations about emergency lawmaking in response to COVID-19 pandemic and the role parliaments can and should play in holding governments to account. Sarah has uh, teaching and research interests in the area of public law, human rights, counterterrorism, criminal law, administrative and anti-discrimination law. Her career has a strong law reform focus and includes seven years at the Law Council of Australia, including as a Director of Criminal Law and Human Rights, as well as recently as Senior Project Officer at the South Australian Law Reform Institute. And she'll talk to us a little bit about uh, the role that that has um, had in shaping her passion and motivation for this work as well. So today we'll talk in particular about how the community, how you and me can get involved in policy and law making, with a focus again on that parliamentary committees, but some other bits and pieces too. This conversation was great and left me really hopeful about the future of Australian democracy. So we recognise that Flinders Social Work operates on the traditional lands and waters of the Ghana people, and we pay respects to their elders past, present and emerging. We acknowledge their sovereignty and continued responsibility to care for country. Sarah, thank you so much for joining me for a chat today about how the community can get involved in policy and lawmaking. Uh, often students in my class and people I talk to more generally kind of express this sense of powerlessness and maybe even just hopelessness at the moment about politics. You know, there's uh, a desire to create you know, something better, but no real sense of how to have any influence over the process. Um, I'm pretty sure that's why a decent number of the students come into my topic thinking it's going to be the worst because this conversation about policy is connected to this idea of politics and they want to help people. They don't want to get bogged down in politics per se. Uh, but your research is actually about how people can get involved and make a meaningful impact. So that's really exciting and I think should make a, a really interesting conversation. So as a starting point, can you tell us just a little bit about the kind of work that you do? Yeah, thanks, Ben, and thanks for having me. I'm really excited to talk to your students about this topic. I think um, when we think about how the parliament makes the law, sometimes it's easy to think, oh, that's got nothing to do with me, or the same as when we think about how the minister might be talking about a policy in the media. You kind of think that's got nothing to do with me in the sense that what can I do to actually influence it? But when we imagine the people that are doing the work, we realise that they're actually a lot like us. They've often had the similar background to us. So they've often um, have complex families where they've been able to um, learn what it means to have a disability. They might have um, experienced hardship and poverty in their life. They might have experienced a whole lot of other things that mean that they are alive to how people think about lawmaking and policymaking. And they're real people, the public servants, as we know, and they're real people, the politicians as well. 
And these people that put their hand up to run for parliament or to lead in a public service department, they do genuinely care about making a positive difference. Now, of course, they also genuinely care about a whole lot of other things, including their job and how they're um, portrayed in the media. So that's, I guess, where the politics comes in. But when we think of the big challenges facing our community at the moment, including things like climate change, but also things like domestic and family violence um, and also inequality of wealth, intergenerational equality, these are issues where we have to say to ourselves, if we're privileged enough to be studying at university, we really are the people that have an obligation to share our perspectives with these other individuals who are working to make a difference. And if we think about what happens in practice, even though there are often times where we feel infuriated thinking, how can the politician focus on this instead of the real issue on the ground of people not being able to say goodbye to their families in hospital for COVID or not being able to get social housing when they need it? How can they focus on the wrong thing? Well, it's our job to restore that focus back onto what we think the right thing is. And my experience is there's many points that we can do that. And once we harness our own power, we can work out the best point for us. So as a lawyer, I'm often focused on the parliament and what the law looks like. But there is a big role for people at a community level um, and at a research level to be part of that conversation too. Wow, that's great. Yeah, I mean, that reminder that you started with that these are real people, I think, is so important because the picture that we get, of course, is filtered through mostly a media lens that gives often a very limited perspective on who these people are. And so you can kind of lose sight of that. Uh, so remembering that as a point of connection is, yeah, really powerful. So thank you for that. Um, I also really like this idea that we have a level of obligation, you know, that we are sitting here that in universities and we have the opportunity to think about these ideas at length, uh, one that's not afforded to lots of other people. So that kind of gives us an obligation to go and, and do something with that information. So there are then some, some meaningful ways that we can start getting in contact and getting involved in these uh, these conversations. So like if I, if I today I want to go out and I want to get involved and influence policy, how do I actually do that? How do I start? Well, I think it depends on what your own strengths are as a person and probably as a communicator. So um, some people are really great in writing um, and they're able to synthesise their ideas really clearly in written form. And that might be some of your students, if they've got an HD or a distinction for an assignment, they're the type of people that are great at writing. And for those people, there are so many opportunities because government departments and the parliament actively reach out all the time saying, please send us a submission on this topic. So the South Australian Parliament's asking people about the Dog and Cat Management Act. They're asking people about ambulance services. They're asking people about crossbow registration. They're saying, please give us some um, insights into this topic. But also at the government department level, they're using the Your Say platform, other platforms to say, tell us about the role of young people and children in the community. Tell us your experience with the disability sector. And this is where the written format is so powerful. And when I worked for a senator myself, the reality is on a daily basis, the staff 
are having to make decisions very, very quickly about a whole lot of issues. There's some things that the senator or the parliamentarian absolutely knows inside out because that's what drives them. Then there's a whole lot of things that they don't know about. So if you come across as someone who is thoughtful, clear, considered, you will get put on the helpful pile. You don't want to be put on the crazy pile. But once you're on the helpful pile, people will come back to you for your expertise. But I also think there's a role for people who communicate differently. So if you're really awesome at the social media kind of communication, there is absolutely a role for you and a role for being able to express really succinctly where the focus should be. And even though a social media tweet or post might not feel like doing much, it can shift the focus and journalists love this because journalists don't have time to read the research. Journalists want where should our focus be? So that's another way. And probably the best way and the hardest way is a personal connection. And if you're studying this area, you want to make those connections anyway for your career, particularly among the public service and your profession. So I've found a lot of value in using um, professional organisations, community organisations as a way to build those networks. And when you meet an MP or when you meet a um, director of a government department at an event in your community, you will be able to make a connection and see that real person. And even if you don't like their politics, you'll find something to connect with them about, you know, maybe the soccer or the netball or the, you know, um, weather. You can connect and once you've connected, you can persuade. And it's lonely sometimes being a decision maker in these spaces. And so offering something clear, a clear solution to a complex problem puts you in the helpful category. So um, I'd start small and start with something where they're already asking you. If you haven't done it before, start small with, with a submission to something that they're actively looking for. Wow, that's three really clear, uh, concrete ways to get involved, and I love the the personal connection one. I think a lot of people are going to resonate with that because that's you know a lot of where the skill set is, particularly for people who are you know starting a social web program. Um, it's interesting that you say social media is so important because uh, that kind of gets a lot of bad press as well, doesn't it? Because you get called a keyboard warrior and that sort of stuff as well by you know, tweeting or, or Facebooking. But, but you, you're saying that it's actually a really valuable and important way to engage in this conversation as well. Yeah. So I think especially when you're, I mean, when I work for the Senator and when I have been working on other um, change campaigns, um, I'm reminded of what the media person told me because I was always the legal policy person. The media person would always say, Um, you know, on the cynical side, will this flip a vote? You know, will someone change how they feel because of what you're saying? Um, But also they'd say, where's the picture? And I think social people who are good at social media instinctively understand this and what that means is you might have a complex submission about the way that we should criminalize coercive control or the factors we should think about when addressing domestic violence and you will have some great research and some principles to convey and that is total gold to the decision maker but what they need to capture their attention is the picture of why this matters and The closer that picture is to you, the better, because 
first of all, you're accountable then if it's connected to you. So you think about what you're doing because you care about it and also because it's a human picture that lets people in. And so I think social people who are good at social media know this instinctively. It's also the way in to talk to people who don't haven't got it number one on their list. So domestic violence might be number one on your list. It might be number 14 on someone else's list. That picture of what I mean is, you know, is there a person you can talk about that this is impacting? Um, that can be the entry point. And the other thing is it's really important not to start your communication with um, a complaint. So (laughs) if you start your communication with an opportunity or a solution Mm. and even better, an acknowledgement that they're a person like you. So what I mean is, you know, if you're writing to the government department or a minister who you might personally quite think is reprehensible in some things you've seen in the news. But if you can think of the thing that you share, like we both want to make this a great state. We Mm. both want to um, ensure that young people are getting employment. We both want to fix the housing crisis. Mm. We can see that you care about this because we've we've seen you do this. So that's Mm. also showing we've thought about what you're doing. Here's our idea and clearly explain here's what we think would make a big difference and then you provide the evidence and i think this strategy um is very powerful but um then you know the reality is this is a game that's you have to be in for the long haul and it's about developing yourself as someone who's active in our democracy as much as it is about trying to change any individual thing just like i'm sure your students would be much more advanced than me in their thinking about what it means to support another human um it's about you and that other person growing together and i think it's the same with active democracy that it's just as much about what you tell your mum or your dad or your cousin you've been doing as it is about whether or not that minister actually changes their mind. So that's a bit tricky. You do, you can get down to the dumps if you think, oh, I spent my whole Sunday writing that submission on the NDIS and it's still a big disaster. You can't hold yourself to that. You have to say, I put it out there what I care about and I told a few other people and if one or two of those other people start thinking about it in a different way, I'm part of positive change. I think that's how we have to think about it. Nice. Yeah, okay. That's really helpful um, because I think it is so easily to get discouraged in that way. You know, I've, I've tried really hard on this thing and nothing's changed. Um, and that's that short-term view often ends up leaving us mm. in that space, whereas uh, these kind of social movements obviously take a long time to create significant change in many instances. That's helpful. And I really also like the, your re-emphasis of kind of the real people, the human level, so making a connection over a long period of time, uh, you know, talking about yourself into, and the, the issue in terms of your own connection to it as a way to kind of make the story real as well. That's really cool. The other thing that you, you mentioned uh well you have kind of have mentioned a couple of times this idea of doing submissions and you also mentioned your say can you just tell us what the your say is and also like how would i find out about submissions so where do i keep a track of these things yeah good question so this is where it might depend um 
who you're trying to convince. And unfortunately, this is a bit tricky. You know, in law school, we, we do whole topics on this about, you know, what areas of public life are being decided by the federal parliament, by Scott Morrison and Anthony Albanese and gang, and what areas are being um, looked after by the state, by Stephen Marshall and probably more likely Nicholas Spirer and people like that. So because you want to get your audience right. Um, but if you're thinking of things locally in South Australia, the South Australian government has used this Your Say website. You can type in Your Say um, on, and they've also got like a social media connection to that and you can sign up for subscriptions to that and that's where they put out their calls for consultations on policy and usually they've given you a range of different options on how you might be part of it so you might just want to answer a survey or you might want to put a written submission so that's a great way to find out about things um, the Rights Resource Network that I run is also a group that is um, trying to share more information about what happens in Parliament because your say is a government thing and Parliament's bigger than government. So sometimes we get different ideas in Parliament. So South Australia is not super good at sharing what's happening in Parliament. The Parliament's website is one of the worst in the country. Um, Oh, there's my um, music, sorry. Um, so, yeah, I think um, you do have to do a bit of hunting, but I would say, you know, these things are safe entry points, but if you've got a fire burning, don't feel confined. You write what you want to say in the way you want to write it and then you find a home for it. So your home might be social media, your home might be your local community or your home might be writing directly to your MP. So finding a list of MPs is easy on a Google. Um, you can go straight to the media because you'll be surprised. Journalists have a lot of space to fill. So going straight to the media is another option. But that's kind of for a little bit more brave heartland. You know, if every <laughs> point your say is great. At the federal level, um, the, the Parliament site, the Parliament's website, Australian Parliament website, I think it's aph.gov.au, they have a lot um, better resources, a lot easier to um, navigate about what they're looking at. And so if you think about the religious discrimination legislation, that was something that was inquired into by two different groups in Parliament um, and they got a lot of different submissions and that was quite easy for people to see if they typed in religious discrimination Parliament or something. It would have been quite easy to find a way. Um, so. I think, though, if you're interested in getting um, – oh, sorry. Sorry, Ben. I don't know what's going on my phone here. Um, if you're interested in finding ways to be involved, I think reach out for help. Um, and I'd be very happy to help if, you, if you're thinking, I want to say it, but I don't know where it belongs, federal or state. Happy to help with that. That's fantastic. Thank you. Yeah, so many different avenues in there. Uh, some of them, like you say, easier to find. A quick Google search will do it, uh, but definitely some a little bit more technical when there are people around like yourself who are, who are able to help with that. 
I'd really like to talk a little bit more about this idea and there's actually a paper that you know you published recently um, that I think talks to this a little bit more. So I'm going to read the title of the paper out. Uh, so it's Parliamentary Committees Facilitating Parliamentary Deliberation, a Case Study of Marriage Inequality uh, Reform. Uh, so this paper highlights, again, this conversation that we're that having today about how you can get involved as a community member but also to how to, to make a meaningful impact uh, and so that's uh, what I'd love to hear some more about here. So the, the paper focuses on two case studies. So again, this is a little quote from your paper, a selection of counter-terrorism laws introduced between 2001 and 2018 and amendments to the Marriage Act uh, 1961. Um, so first of all, before we dive too far into your paper, uh, can you tell us what is, I mean, you know, I know, of course, but perhaps people listening uh, don't know. What is a parliamentary committee? Is it what we see on the news? Is it the, the parliament with all those green chairs or is it something else? Yes, yeah, so a good question. I mean, our parliament, the, the vision that we see of it seems really combative, adversarial, and it definitely is at certain points, but most of the time it's not. So question time is usually what you see. That's the thing where there's the green chairs and there's ScoMo and Albo kind of hurling insults at each other. That's question time, really important tradition, but that's really not representative of what happens most of the time. Most of the time the parliament is passing things that people either all agree on or are trying to genuinely work out how to sort out. And often what they do is instead of all sitting there in that green area um, or the red area, they kind of break up into little groups and they say, okay, we're going to have a really good look at this. And the most important thing from my perspective is that they ask other people outside the parliament, what do they reckon? So we see that we saw this happen with the religious discrimination legislation. We've seen it happen with recognition of First Nations people, with um, big reforms like the NDIS, but also smaller kind of changes along the way. Um, definitely with marriage equality, we saw this happen a lot. So what usually happens is a minister or maybe um, someone from another party across venture um, says I've got a good idea for law I reckon we should change the marriage act so that same-sex couples can get married and the parliament um, I'm so sorry Ben I don't know who's trying to ring me but they're <laughs> very consistent um, so they, uh, the parliament goes okay well we need to have a bit of a chat about this um, law that you've suggested and they put it to a group and the group We'll have some from Liberal Labor and some from other parties together. And that group is the one that puts up the thing on the website that says, please give us a submission or please come down and tell us about this. Now, interestingly, sometimes these committees do other um, things to, to check how people feel about the law. And what they did in the marriage equality example is they did a poll um, to see how people feel. And this all happened before the plebiscite. So um, that's an interesting case study. But really for your students, what they've got to think about is, you know, imagine you've got a big classroom or a big lecture theatre, you're trying to deal with something pretty complex and what the teacher does is say, okay, we'll just divide up into small groups now 
so we can talk about it a bit more. And then the small group goes, you know, I reckon we need to get this bloke in or this lady in to help us think about this issue. And you could be that bloke or lady because they're looking for people like you to help them understand what the law is going to do or the policy. Wow. Okay. Yeah, that's a really clear explanation. So it makes a lot of sense for it to be a small group of people who are working on it together. Um, So if I step back just a second from that fairly concrete example you've given and just think a little bit more about uh, the kind of democracy that we're a part of is the language that sometimes gets thrown around, I think you talk about in the paper as well, is, is the idea of direct democracy. Is that what we're describing when you personally might go and get involved in one of these committees or, or what do we mean by direct democracy? Yeah, thanks, Ben. So direct democracy um, sometimes can mean that, but I think um, it's easier to think about it in this way. Our parliament is representative democracy and that's really defined us as a nation and most modern um, democratic states are like that. So that means that every um, three or four years and we're about to hit one state and one federal, we get to vote for someone to represent us, represent our geographical area or represent our state. And so that person, once they're in, they might consult us, they make their own decisions on how to vote for a law, how to vote for religious discrimination, how to vote for coercive control. Direct democracy is a lot more like what happened with the plebiscite for marriage equality, where all of us get to have our say in a plebiscite or a referendum or something like that, and we all get to answer a question, and then that information is used to decide. Now, the marriage equality example is really interesting because it was a combo, right? Um, They did ask the whole Australian community how they felt about marriage equality, but that wasn't the thing that passed the law. The thing that passed the law was the debate in Parliament. So um, around the world, it's really interesting. COVID has actually really turbocharged direct democracy because people are able to follow what's happening in Parliament and use technology, including different apps and social media, to really express a very immediate position. And in Brazil, for example, there's an app that people can download that allows them to vote on everything. So it allows a regular person to vote on anything that's happening in Parliament and the members of Parliament can see this. Now, people playing at home don't get the final say. The Parliament still does, but it's very powerful. Now, we don't have something like that in Australia, but more and more, um, I guess, we're experimenting with ways to hear the voices of the people in a more direct form and so I'm not sure how I feel about that. I think there's pros and cons um, because I think if we think of the religious discrimination legislation, if you're a transgender person, this is number one in your life because this is going to impact you and your family, your health, your sense of self. If you're not a transgender person, this is probably not number one in your life. It might be 17 or 27 or 135. And so I think it's difficult to think, is it right that everyone has the same say, you know? So I think there's important role for representative democracy because that's when someone who might not be transgender but is elected 
to represent their constituency can come out and say, I care about the transgender child, that's why I'm not going to vote for it. I'm not sure a direct democracy would be able to provide that kind of thoughtful reflection. But, you know, this is part of the exciting thing about our democracy at the moment. And I think it's great that we're experimenting with different ways because each time someone feels like their voice is heard in policy making or lawmaking, it, it improves the quality of our democracy because even if we disagree with that person, they think, yes, I have a channel to share how I feel. If the people feel like this democracy thing is totally not working for me, nobody's listening, that's when we get really dangerous activities that we saw in America. And right now we're seeing people um, stage long-term protests outside Parliament House in Canberra. So we really do need to um, keep thinking about ways to connect people because the alternatives are pretty scary. That's really useful. Thank you. And I'm just thinking that that's a, quite a nice positive message about our democracy, which is not a, a popular message at the moment. Like you said, the popular message is quite extreme and there's lots of problems, but you all give us some examples of some really interesting innovation that may not be the, the final solution, but the you know there are things we can do along the way um, to keep improving it. Uh, but the the importance of engaging in democracy, I think, is as the message there. That's excellent. Thank you so much. Um, and that's really useful, I think, for us to think about. You know, maybe we don't necessarily have to understand all the different types of representative and direct democracy, but that there are multiple ways into the conversation as well. So if we go back a step to now to this uh, idea of parliamentary committees as a way into uh, to having this conversation, uh, can you tell me a little bit more about um, what kinds of or amounts of participation do these committees actually get from the community? You talk about, again, a couple of examples of, of how um, committees have drawn in from the community on around counterterrorism laws and the Marriage Act as well. Can you tell us a bit more about you know, how does that happen and how much does it happen? Yeah, so it can really depend, but um, it happens a lot more than you think. So um, at the state level, there was an interesting, I think it was last year, they did an interesting um, consultation on crossbows, read, how to license people using crossbows. Now, this is not really um, a political issue, you know, between the two parties, but it's a community issue. And they got 84 people um, submit to that committee inquiry and that probably represents quite a significant proportion of the people who use crossbows. So that is a really good example where a small number, 84 out of the whole population, but a powerful voice and it's going to help them shape a regulation that makes sense and that's more likely to work. If they didn't ask that question and just pass the crossbow reform, there's a chance that the law or policy they make is not going to be as effective or resisted by those people. Now, on the other end of the spectrum is something like the marriage equality legislation where the first time that Senator Hanson Young put up the idea of changing the Marriage Equality Act well before the plebiscite, years before, there was 40,000 submissions. Now, 
those submissions, um, many of the people who spent time doing that, there's some people who wrote really long research reports, some people who just filled out a kind of change.org thing. But those people at that time would have felt, oh, bloody hell, what a waste of time. But taken collectively, when that committee is able to report back to the parliament, say we had 40,000 submissions and 80% of them want this change. And some of the people that want the change are in the electorates of conservatives or some of the people that want the change are religious people or some of the people who want the change you know, are teachers or farmers or whatever they are. The, the committee reports to Parliament and it's important to note the Parliament doesn't have to listen to the committee. If the government hates the idea and the government's got the numbers, they can go ahead regardless of what the committee says. But that committee's report is powerful because it's signalling to the rest of the Parliament, okay, a change is underway and it might impact you and your constituents. Now, after three or four of these committees, the other thing that starts to come out is solutions that students like yours have developed, solutions to help break the deadlock. So people are saying, okay, look, last time we heard people say that they were really worried about ministers of religion having to do something that they didn't feel was right for them. So how about we still change it but we allow them the right to say no, to, to officiate. That kind of idea comes from the committee, from some student like yours who's thought about it. And then again, this becomes an important little piece of the puzzle. So it takes, some of these things take a really long time, but this is really useful information. Other times you can ride the wave at the right time, like the religious discrimination one um, is a good example. But things like coercive control can also be a powerful thing um, to think about implementation. So for your students who are less focused on the law like me, but might be thinking about how this is going to play out, that can also be really important. The committee can be the place where they say, actually, we need more money or we need more training or we need more public awareness. So, yeah, I think um, it's still true to say that this committee process is definitely not the same as, um, you know, suddenly having a different kind of composition in the parliament. It's a slow burn, but it's a powerful way to catch and record voices for change. And the other thing is, it's an awesome thing to do when you're a student, because when you're a student, you're trying to think about how am I gonna sell myself to an employer that distinguishes me from everyone else doing the degree? And this is an awesome way to do it because you could get a distinction or HD for your assignment. You turn it into a submission, takes you a couple of hours on a Sunday. You put the submission in and one of two things happen. Something awesome happens like they say, would you like to come down and talk about your submission in Parliament? Awesome. Put that on your CV. Tell that story at your interview. But if that doesn't happen, still tell the story. Say that you cared about it you wrote about it, you put a submission in, and then nothing happened for that change. So then you had to reflect on, you know, was my communication style right or did I need to try a different audience? That's the perfect example when you're asked, when did something not work out? Because you're explaining that you're a bit of a star, but on that occasion it didn't work out. So 
I think um, it's a great thing to kind of upcycle, upcycle something you're already doing. That's really cool, yeah. What, what a great way to distinguish yourself, yeah, to have that as a password to say, oh, I really care about this. And then either way, either way it works out, you've got a great story to tell. That's very cool. Um, and it's also really interesting to hear that, like you said, these committees don't immediately translate into action necessarily. Like the, the decision that the committee makes isn't going to absolutely be the decision that gets made in parliament. Uh, but you take us back to that message about it's a slow burn, things take time to change, and these committees are a good opportunity to have those, it sounds like really meaningful conversations and it's not the, the spectacular question time moments that we see, but rather people actually having conversations and trying to work work through the issue um, sometimes Ben I mean I have been when I was in working for the law council and we were doing a lot of um, hearings because if you put a submission in sometimes you're asked to come and talk to the committee and that can freak a lot of people out um, maybe not the people who do law and want to be barristers but lots of people think oh this is scary um, and sometimes you've kind of you know, stayed up all night thinking about what you're going to say because here's your big moment with all the senators sitting there and then you get there and they're all looking at their phones like this and you're thinking, oh, no. But, look, I think um, this happens all the time when we're trying to affect change. Um, So I don't want to make it sound like it's this beautiful environment. Um, It's still an adversarial environment but um, it is a forum for regular people to have their say. So, yeah. That's great. That's helpful. Yeah, I mean, it would definitely freak me out. So uh, if I did that and rocked up and everyone's looking at the phones, it'd be pretty disappointing. But here's my kind of cynical question, right? So you're saying the community can be represented in these spaces, but does it genuinely represent the community or is it more likely to represent people who have a resource to write a submission already, who have a backing or an in already? So like different forms of powerful lobby groups or like you say, perhaps even just lawyers who uh, you know, are used to this environment. How much is it those kind of elite groups versus genuine community engagement? Yeah, so good question. And I'm just looking now at the submissions that were put into the Legal and Constitutional Affairs Committee's inquiry into the religious discrimination laws, the ones that have just passed. And keep in mind, this was an inquiry that ran for, I think, only two weeks right over Christmas and New Year. So total tough time. It got, let me just check, 221 written submissions and then it got about another kind of 1,300 um, letters from people. So it got a lot of response really quickly at a difficult time. And of those written submissions, it's true that most of them are from, you know, groups that I'm in, academics are involved in, like the um, anti-discrimination or experts group or, you know, the Law Council of Australia or something like that or the Australian Council of Social Workers. But there are a lot of other submissions from individuals, written submissions from individuals, and they're listed there and they're taken into account. The other thing is all the people that filled out those form letters, like petitions, they're still part of this dialogue and so they're still able to indicate um, their perspective. But absolutely you're right. There's not... Um, it's much easier for a privileged person with resources, particularly someone like an academic or advocacy group who are literally getting paid to do this 
of course they're going to be involved. But that's why that might be the place for you to be part of that. So Equality Australia, who is an NGO with not much money that represents people from the LGBTI community, they put a submission in and they included a lot of voices from regular people. The same with the Council of Social Workers um, or the AMA. Um, so there's many different ways in, but absolutely you're right. And that's why the experimentation is so exciting. So the use of these apps is really powerful. And at the state level, the citizen science kind of initiative is a good example of that. So on ecology and recovery from the bushfire, what the parliament did was connecting with the University of South Australia and some of the scientists there that encouraged regular people to take pictures of the environment that had been impacted and was recovering from the bushfire, put take the picture, send it in. And we've seen this in the UK where they're making decisions about what do you want your park to look like? And people are literally taking a picture of their phone and sending it in. The same when it comes to um, services for people with disability where there are... Um, active kind of opportunities for people to um, explain how they feel outside of that adversarial environment. And in South Australia, with the previous um, Wetherill government, we had citizen juries looking at things like nuclear waste dumps. So that's why I think those innovations and experiments are really good because they can bring people. But if you think of the crossbow ones, there were no... There were no um, the 84 people that put in for the crossbow thing or the 132 people that put in for the Dog and Cat Management Act, they weren't from any lobby groups or anything like that. So it's a mix, but it's still an issue. I guess the question is, you know, are you going to be inside the tent in one of these groups or are you going to be outside the tent, you know? And for people interested in policy, this is the existential question, right? Are you going to work for the department, try and make change from the inside, or are you going to be outside from an NGO? You know, these are hard questions that I don't think I've kind of resolved for myself. So I'm not saying it's easy, um, but I would say that, if you put a submission in as an individual person, you won't be alone and you won't be ignored. You might not find it as easy as the Law Council or the SACOS or something, but you'll still be part of it. That's great. Thank you. Um, yeah, again, I think you've just given people so many different options and so much motivation to get involved. No matter which bit they're, they're interested in or issue they're interested in, there are ways to get involved. And I, I really like that you've kind of said, here's this existential question about do you do it as part of a group or individually? And you're highlighting for us again, I think perhaps uh, if you are interested in this space, there are options as well. Like you can get a career in multiple spaces and inside in government, in NGOs, or even just saying, I'm interested, so I'll do it as a little side hobby thing that I'm doing on a Sunday afternoon for a couple of hours as well. Can you tell us then, as we're kind of wrapping up here, why do you do this work? Why, why do you find it enjoyable? You know, what is it that motivates you to be in this space? Yeah, thanks. I mean, I think it probably comes from all the wonderful experiences I've been privileged enough to have. So after I finished my um, law degree, I worked first for Attorney General's Department um, in their law reform area, so kind of inside government. And I saw kind of a little bit about how the cogs were turning. 
And then I worked for the courts um, and that was a massive eye-opener for me because I came from a family that never knew any lawyers, public school, and then I was in the courts day after day observing the kind of harsh realities of people whose life was so different from mine and we had the opportunity to travel and do the circuit court up into Aboriginal lands but in regional and remote areas. Really I saw that my idea of justice was pretty different to the lived experience. And after that I thought, well, how can I contribute to this idea of social justice? And I did some um, study overseas and that also helped me get a vision of how Australia fits into that bigger international picture and what values and principles might help us think about ideas of equality and justice. Um, And then um, I worked for AusAid, an aid organisation, for a few years, the government department again. And I saw through that experience that demand for better democracy is really at the key, heart of it, because otherwise it's just me and my privilege thinking, I reckon the law should say this. But if we can help people demand something better for themselves, then that is the version of justice that I started to see I wanted to be part of. And then um, I worked for NGO for a while before I had the chance to work for a senator. Um, And that was really helpful to, again, get that reality, a bit like that court moment where I'm like, okay, I get to see warts and all of what's happening in Parliament. Um, and, and then I got into academia. So I think those experiences really showed me that if I want to feel proud of what I'm doing, I have to try and open the door for other people to have the kind of access and privilege that I've experienced as being part of the democracy. And so that's what drives me. But it's difficult because that means confronting a situation where you might open the door to people who really have very different ideas to you or you might be reminded of, you know, the kind of uh, your place in the world which might not be as idyllic as the way that you see yourself. But I think, um, yeah, if anyone is at university they're there because they're hungry for knowledge and they're there because they want to make a contribution, they want to make a difference. And it doesn't have to be social justice, it can be a whole lot of other things. And I think if that's what you're in for anyway, um, you know, share it out across a range of different landscapes and, you know, I think parliament and policy is one of those. That's fantastic. Thank you so much. Um, I, I don't have any other questions for you because I think you've just articulated so well. Uh, but I do want to give you a chance to kind of give it, do a shameless self-promotion of things that you're working on now. Do you have any interesting kind of projects that you're working on or things that people might be interested in if they've found what you've had to say today really great? Yeah, thanks, Ben. So one of the things is I'm involved in this group called the Rights Resource Network SA and we've got a website, Facebook page and things. And this group is really um, anyone can be part of it. And what we try and do is share information about things that might be impacting the lives of South Australians. It's about South Australian lawmaking and policy. So people might want to see what we're doing. At the moment, we're working on a um, Human Rights Act election question, but we've done a whole lot of work on different topics. And if you want a little 
test the water with what we're talking about today and you're not quite ready to do something yourself but you want to be part of it, we'd love to have you. We publish blog posts, we write submissions together, we hold workshops. So we'd absolutely love to have you and learn from you. Um, and the other thing I'm doing with my research at the moment is a project on domestic violence in South Australia. And, um, yeah, I mean, again, I, I wish I'd done your degree because I've had to dig deep in um, my own methodology and my own approach to talking to people about these issues. And so um, it's reminded me that, like, let's connect, like, law, social work, law, policy, let's connect if we're interested in the same outcome, which is a kind of safer place for people um, because, yeah, your perspectives are really valuable, you know, even in the nuts and bolts of methodology and approaches to research. So I'd love to connect with any of your students on those things. That's excellent. Well, speaking of connecting, if people wanted to find you somewhere on the internet, where should they go? Yeah, so... Um, Probably my UniSA email is is great, which is just sarah.moulds at unisa.edu.au, but also the Rights Resource Network SA um, website and Facebook page um, would be fine. But, yeah, I think or if you just Google Sarah Moulds UniSA, I think my phone numbers are on the um uh, homepage. So I'm really genuine about this. As you can tell, I can't stop talking. So give me a ring. We'll be banging on for 25 minutes, I'm sure. That's fantastic. <laughs> Thank you. And we'll provide a couple of links to that on the description for the podcast as well so people can find that easily. I've really enjoyed this conversation. I feel much better about the opportunities for you know, getting involved in our democracy now than I did at the start. So that's a really great thing. Thank you again so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Ben. This episode was edited by Ryan Manhire, music by Anthem of Rain, sourced from the freemusicarchive.org. You can find me, Ben, on Twitter, at Ben. If you like the podcast, please like, share, comment, and do all the things. <laughs>